Uh, we are in Acts chapter number 17, Acts chapter number 17. If you are just now joining us for Wednesday night Bible study, we have been going through, uh, we just go through the books of the Bible. We will go and, and we'll take chapter by chapter, verse by verse sometimes, and, uh, and just preach through a book. And uh, currently we are in the book of Acts and tonight we're on Acts chapter number 17. Uh, last week, uh, we, we studied and, and found out Paul, uh, was jailed. He was beaten with rods in Philippi uh, in his his first missionary efforts in Macedonia, uh, in the the, the continent of Europe. And uh, he has been run out of Philippi. So he just travels on. He just keeps preaching. He just keeps ministering. Every time he runs into a roadblock, he doesn't quit. He doesn't stop. Uh, he, He has resistance. Everywhere he goes, he has resistance, but he just keeps traveling on. And that's what we need to do. Keep traveling on. No matter what, just keep traveling on. Keep moving on. And so we're going to do that tonight uh, here in Acts chapter number 17. And, and this is what we're going to look at. There's three different cities that Paul ends up in in this one chapter. Uh, first, he, he ends up in Thessalonica, uh, then Berea. And then he'll end up in Athens. Now we're going to try to cover two out of the three. I was going to put the third one in there, put Athens in there also, but there was so much there and in the sermon on Mars Hill, I wanted to include all of that. And I just didn't think we'd have time to get to it without trying to rush through. And I don't want to do that. So this one may be uh, just a little shorter uh, than we normally go. Uh, and we're going to just focus all of our time next week on Paul in Athens at Mars Hill. So uh, let's go ahead and get started. And, uh, and once again, thank you for being with us. Thank you for joining in. And uh, if you're just now clicking in, let me know that you're here. Put I'm watching from and wherever you're from, you, you post that there in the comment section. And if you will hit that share button. All right. Acts chapter number 17, and we'll begin in verse number one. It says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. There was a synagogue of the Jews and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And that this Jesus, whom I preached unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed, and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, and took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out of the, to the people." And when they found them not, they were looking for Paul and Silas. When they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city saying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying, there is another King, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city. And when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason of the, uh, and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of the honorable women, which were Greeks and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Paul, or excuse me, Silas and Timotheus abode there still. So Paul just kept moving on. Well, let's pray. Let's pray and we'll jump right in here this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so grateful and I'm thankful for, to have your word. I'm thankful for the, for the encouragement 
and, and the blessing and, and Lord, the strength that you give us as we study your word. Now, Lord, I desperately need your presence in this place. I, I pray that you will fill this empty building with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you'll fill my mind and my heart. I pray that I will fill you and uh, Lord, everyone and wherever they're at, wherever their sanctuary is tonight, whether it's a living room or in the, in the, in the, the, the cab of their vehicle, Lord, wherever it might be, I pray that you will touch them and let them feel your presence as we study your word. Lord, you know what's going on in our society today. You know what's going on in our world. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, this did not take you by surprise. Lord, you are well aware of our need. And Father, I pray that you will bring us through this hour. I pray that you'll bring us through this trial. I pray that your perfect will be done. Move on us in an awesome way tonight. And God will thank you for it. In Jesus name we pray. Lord, control my mind and control my heart. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't. And don't let me forget anything I should. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Right where you are in your your house, in your room, say amen, church. Help us now. Amen. Now, uh, just as a way of review, uh, we, we know that Paul is on his second missionary journey and he has, he has gone around and he is, uh, uh, edifying those churches that he had, had, uh, started and planted in the first missionary journey and checking up on them, following up on them. And now he's gone to a new place. Now he's gone to a new area. He's gone to Macedonia. God has led him and called him to Macedonia. And the first stop was at Philippine. There at Philippi, he had great success. We, we saw a, a church was planted there. Uh, uh, there were many people saved there, many believers. Uh, a jailer and his family was saved, which came out of terrible circumstances. Uh, Paul was was jailed. He was beaten with rods. And, and we know the famous story of, of, of them singing and praying at midnight. And God intervened and there was a jailhouse break. And God broke them out of there. And through all of that, through all of that, the jailer believed the word of God and he was saved and, and his household believed and they were saved. And, 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 and as, as the thing went, just as it normally goes with Paul, he has to leave the city. And so he goes on to another city and that's where we're at. That's where we're at here tonight. But as we look, uh, let's just take it down through the verses and we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at, uh, uh, Berea which is the second city he lands in and Thessalonica. And so let's, let's do that tonight. All right. Number one, number one. And here's how we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to see tonight two primary responses to the word, uh, two primary ways of, of receiving the word or, and if you was to look at it this way, if you was a soul winner and you're going out witnessing, these are two types of people that you're going to run into. You're going to run into the reluctant and you're going to run into the ready. The reluctant would be those at Thessalonica, but the ready would be those at Berea. You're going to run into both crowds. You're going to run into people that want to hear what you have to say. And you're going to run into people who don't want to hear what you have to say. But we have a responsibility to minister to both of them. And we're going to see that Paul had success with both of them. And so what we're going to do, we're going to take the same subs. We usually have a a, a main point and subs underneath that. And we're going to have the same subs and just give you information that has to do with how he handled each group of people. All right. So let's look, let's look here in verse number one. Let's begin reading. It says now, now when they had passed through and that's a key, that's a key. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. So if you're taking notes, if you got your notes there in front of you, uh, you'll see this. Number one, we see Thessalonica is the city. That's the one we're going to be studying and discussing right now. But look at A, write this down. We see the routine he employed. The routine he employed. How did Paul go about uh, 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 exercising his ministry? What method did he use when he was doing his ministry and, and planning these churches? According to this verse, the Bible says that he passed through. He didn't stop. He didn't try to plant a church. He didn't try to do ministry. It doesn't say that he preached here, or did any soul winning in these two smaller cities, uh, uh, Amphipolis 
and Apollonia. They just passed right on through them to get to Thessalonica. Now, to kind of understand that, to kind of understand that, uh, you'll, you'll have to know that Thessalonica was a major city. It was second only to Corinth uh, in Macedonia. And, and there was a major trade route running through there. And, and, and it was the capital of Macedonia. So what is his method? We see he bypasses or he goes through two smaller cities to get to a bigger city. Now, now why is that? What is the strategy behind that? What, what is he doing by doing that? You see, Paul expected those in the big city, wherever he would plant a church, wherever that he would uh, uh, see souls saved and a church established, that that church would be responsible for going out and branch out and win those around them. Now, and we'll, we'll see proof to this. Look, look what it says in first Thessalonians. When he wrote the letter back to the Thessalonians in first Thessalonians, he says this, and, and it worked. Matter of fact, it worked. First Thessalonians one seven. So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia from, from now watch for, from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. What is Paul saying? You reach out to those around you. Now, what can we take from that? And what can we learn from that? Wherever God plants a church, he doesn't expect us to just minister to those in the walls of this church. He doesn't expect us just to minister to those right in our near vicinity. He wants us to not only to come in, but he wants us to go out. He doesn't want us just to come in and sit, soak and sour and just come and receive and receive and receive and receive and learn and learn and learn and learn. He wants us to come in and get filled up and take what we have outside of these walls and outside of these places. Listen, these these walls are for the same to be edified, to be educated, to be encouraged, to be lifted up, to be blessed and to be helped. Not so we could sit on it and not so we could hoard up all the information that we have. He gives us this so we can go out and take what we have to a lost and dying world. He wants us to take it to people that don't have what we have. He wants, listen, this is so appropriate. We have a cure for the greatest virus there's ever been. And that is sin for the most damning, for the most damning uh, 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 outcome of a virus. And that is eternity in hell. But we have the answer. We have the cure. We have the answer to the problem of sin and we can't keep it in here. We got to take it to the people who need it the most. Listen, it was a strategy. Paul had every expectation that wherever he would plant a church and wherever he would see people saved, he expected them to take what they received from him to those around them. And that was his strategy. That was his strategy. He passed two smaller cities to get to the bigger city because he expected those to branch out and reach those around them. That was that was part of his routine. That was part of his strategic strategy. All right. So his routine, his routine, I put one, two, three under this, uh, his routine. He chose a strategic city. We explain that. We understand why that is. He would go to the bigger cities and they would branch out from there and take the gospel out. From there, number two, he started in the synagogue. We've heard this over and over and over from the very beginning, from the very beginning of his ministry and his his missionary efforts. He always would go into a synagogue and there's several reasons. And I'll just just go over a couple of them. Uh, uh, We have heard this over and over, but he would go to pick easy fruit. He would go to people who already had some kind of awareness of God. They had the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. So it would be easier with them than it would be most people because uh, he wasn't starting fresh. They, they, there, was, there was already some semblance of truth and scripture that they had. But not only that, he loved the people. It was to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. He loved his people. He said, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. And man, he would go to them and plead with them and beg with them. But he would use them to reach those around. Just like the city, he would strategically use the people. So he would go to the synagogue first. Wherever there was a city, uh, he would take the synagogue and he would have an opportunity to share the gospel there. 
Now, watch how he does this. Watch how, watch how he does this. Verse one. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. So that's just part of his routine, part of his normal actions. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days, watch this now, reasoned, reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Now, three weeks, three weeks he spent with them, three particular Sabbaths. He kept coming back and he kept coming back. And, and this was a group that was kind of reluctant. <clears throat> they were kind of hard headed. I guess if you want to use that kind of terminology, a uh, little, little strong minded, strong willed. Uh, and he kept on and he kept on. Now, now, why? Why was this the case? Excuse me. Why was this the case? Why was it difficult? The Bible says that the gospel is a stumbling block to the Jews. Why did they have such a hard time? accepting the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, here, we've got to understand a few things. We've got to understand a few things. Uh, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, when Jesus promised or, or God promised a Messiah to the nation of Israel and to uh, David, he said, there's going to come a king who's going to rule forever. There's going to come a deliverer. They were expecting a deliverer. They were expecting a, 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 a knight on a white horse. They were expecting somebody powerful. They were expecting somebody strong to come in and, and, and completely uh, remove the, 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 the yoke that was on their back and take Rome out of the picture and, and put the nation of Israel back rightly where they belong. They were expecting a hero. They were expecting a strong man. They were expecting a, 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 a politician, if you will. They were expecting some, uh, 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 some great figure. But the only problem is Jesus came as one of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. Jesus came humbly. Jesus came without anything. He came in a way that nobody would look upon him and, and be uh, attracted to him whatsoever. No reputation. That's how Jesus came. Jesus came being born in the manger. They once was said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? This was not, this was not who they were expecting. This, and, and, and the idea, the idea of the Messiah, the hero, the savior, the deliverer of the, the, the Jewish people, the idea of him suffering the idea of him being arrested and, and, and being beaten and brutalized and, and, and the idea of him being crucified, that's unheard of. That's unimaginable. There, there's no way that this could be possible. There's no way that this could be possible. So what did, what did Paul do? He went to the scriptures. He took their Old Testament scriptures and proved. Now, let me, let me show you. Let me show you. Let's stay with the book. Stay with the book. Look what it says. Verse two, he went into, went unto them three Sabbath days with them. Watch this out. He reasoned And the word reason here means to answer and ask questions. In other words, it was a dialogue going on. He was, he was asking them questions and, and answering their questions as they were going back and forth. He was reasoning with them. He was giving them information and receiving information. And, and, and so what was he doing? Opening and alleging. Now, now the word, the word alleging, the word alleging means to prove by presenting evidence, to prove by presenting evidence. So what did, what did, what was he trying to prove? What was he trying to prove? Watch this. He was opening and alleging that Christ. Now the word Christ there means the Messiah, the one they were waiting on, the one that was promised to them, the one that all the old Testament prophets said was going to come. The one they've heard about from their grandpa and the grandma, the one that they knew and they were anticipating and they were waiting on. Paul is doing this. He's taking the Old Testament scriptures to describe what was going to happen with the Messiah. And specifically, watch this. He was specifically showing them that that Messiah, 
The one that they thought was going to be a knight riding in on a white horse and and he was going to come as a hero and and a mighty powerful person and deliver that Messiah that they were waiting on. That he must suffer. He must suffer and rise again from the dead. He's going to take the Old Testament scriptures. He's going to take the Old Testament scriptures and show the Jewish people that the image that they had in their head of what the Messiah would be like is completely erroneous. It's completely false. That the real Messiah, the real Savior, the real deliverer that God promised and the prophets promised and Isaiah promised and, and, and David wrote about in the Psalms. Listen, he's nothing like they thought he would be. That truly he would suffer. Truly he would be killed. And truly he would rise again. Let, let's look at a couple. Maybe, maybe that Paul possibly shared with them. Could it be? Could it be that Paul shared Psalm 22? I'm going to just read a few of these. Listen, I, I highlighted, I, 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 you probably can't see this, but I've, I've, got the, I've got the chapter here and I highlighted verses that stand out that really describe and what we see in the New Testament with Jesus. Psalm 22, 1. It says, a Psalm of David, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is that not what Jesus said on the cross? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and I'm not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou deliverest them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm. I am a worm. Watch out, the, the Messiah is describing himself. I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. That's what happened on Calvary. They, they, they shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Well, let him deliver him. Seeing he delighted in him. They said that on Calvary. But thou art he that took me out of the wound. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be the, not far from me. For trouble is near me, for there is none to help. Now watch as he describes the, 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 the persecution before the crucifixion. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening, a roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. Listen to this. Listen to this. They pierced. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They Watch this. They part my garments among them. They cast lots upon my vesture. Listen. Several things here, several things. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If he wants to be delivered, let the Lord come delivering him. That's what they said. Let him take himself off the cross. They've pierced my hands and my feet. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. This is exactly what took place on Calvary. What is he doing? He's showing them. Through the Old Testament scriptures, he's alleging, he's proving, he's taking the Jews and showing them that their Messiah would have to suffer according to the scriptures. If it was going to be according to the scriptures, he would have to suffer. He wouldn't come in on a stallion. He wouldn't come in as a hero. He wouldn't come in as a mighty and powerful person. He would come in humbly and he would suffer. Hey, could he have taken him to Isaiah 53? Isaiah 53 describes the crucifixion. It says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. For when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire of him. Man, that's Jesus. 
He is despised and rejected of men. The New Testament says he came into his own and his own received him not. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. That's Jesus. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off. He was cut off out of the land of the living. In other words, he was killed. He was crucified. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked, the two thieves, with the rich in his death. That's Josephus. Or uh, 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 help me, help me. Uh, Anyway, 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 lost my train of thought, lost my train of thought. He made verse nine and he made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death because he had no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Watch this. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear his iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's Jesus. That's talking about the crucifixion. The Old Testament describes the crucifixion of Messiah. Possibly they took him. He took them to Psalm 16 verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That's the resurrection. Listen, what did what what did Paul do? He went into the synagogue, into this group of reluctant people, and he took the scriptures and probably tons more than this. And he went over and over and, and, and explained and described and, and taught them and showed them that not only would the Messiah suffer, he would die and he would be resurrected again. And not only would the Messiah suffer, die and be resurrected again, but Jesus Jesus, the one he's been preaching to them about, the one he's been telling them about, that this man, Jesus, who was crucified in Jerusalem by the Romans and the Jews, he is that Messiah. He is the one that Isaiah was talking about. He is the one that the psalmist was referring to. He is the one that the Old Testament prophets said would come. Jesus was the Messiah. And they needed to put their faith and their trust and their hope and believe on Jesus. And look what happens. Look what happens. We see the results. Not only do we see the routine. He reasoned. He reasoned answering and asking questions. He preached Jesus to them. Convincing by proving and providing evidence. Then we see the results he experienced. Verse number four. It says, and some, and some of them believe. That's frustrating. That's frustrating for, for a pastor or a preacher or an evangelist, a missionary. Because when you, when, you, when you show truth and you show evidence, and listen, you make it unmistakable and you pour your heart into it and you're passionate about what you're doing, you want them all to believe. You want everybody to believe. You don't want nobody to leave out without not trusting in Christ. But that's not reality. That's not reality. You can't get frustrated when some people choose 
not to believe. There's going to be people believe and there's going to be people choose not to believe. Your job is to present the evidence. Your job is to be a witness. Your job is not to do the saving. Your job is to be a witness. Let God, that is up to him. But we see some people, some people believe. But then we see this, verse number four. Some of them believed and consorted with Paul. They stayed in contact. They fellowship with Paul. Uh, there was, there was uh, uh, greetings there. They consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. And of the chief women, not a few. So we have two big crowds and some Jews. So, so what do we see out of this? The results were some believed. And number two, they were primarily Gentile in number. In other words, the biggest number was the Gentiles. A few Jews believed, some Jews believed in the synagogue, but those who were seeking truth, those who were Gentiles, it was primarily the biggest number, the biggest part of the multitude was the Gentiles there. Now, that brings us to C. We see not only the routine he employed, but the results he experienced, and then the resistance he expected. You say, why do you say, and he expected it? Because everywhere he went, he got it. If you, listen, if you do anything for God, anything whatsoever of significance, you better expect resistance. You better expect to fight. Listen, the devil's not just going to roll over and play dead. He's not just going to give up and let you take back uh, what he has stole. Uh, Listen, you've got to know there's going to be resistance. You've got to know there's going to be opposition. Peter said it this way. The devil roameth about seeking like a roaring lion. You get me? Like a roaring lion. He roameth about seeking whom he may devour. We have an adversary. He's an enemy. So Paul is expecting resistance and he got it. He got it. What happens? Look where the resistance come from. This is, and not just where it comes from, but the motivation behind it. Look what it says in verse five. But the Jews... But the Jews, those he longed to save and, and see saved, those that he would always go to first, those that, those that he would pray for and he would reach out for, the Jews which believed not. Now watch what their motivation was. They moved with envy. They moved with envy. Now, what, what is... What does envy mean? I wrote the definition on my notes here. Look, look, watch this. Envy is a painful and resentful awareness of an advantage of another. Did you get that? It is a painful and resentful awareness of an advantage of another. In other words, let me put it this way. The Jews that didn't believe, they didn't have a problem until Paul started getting a bunch of converts. In other words, they were painfully and resentfully aware that this crowd over here was getting bigger and the crowd in their synagogue was getting smaller. They were moved with envy. They, 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 listen, their, their, their care was not for their Jewish religion. Their care was not necessarily for truth. They were not defending truth as they alleged. Uh, they were not concerned about Caesar or anything of that nature. Cause if truth be known, the Jews hated them. What were they concerned about? They were envious of the blessing that was on Paul. And the blessing that was in the movement that Paul was behind in the cause of Christ, they were losing people and Paul was gaining people and they moved with envy. Boy, isn't that the, that, that, that has not changed. That has not changed whatsoever. It is amazing to me that people who are supposed to be on the same team, people who are supposed to be fighting for the same cause, you let a brother get over here and get blessed and God touches ministry and God move on his heart and, and him start seeing people saved and him start filling up a building and have to build and do something and it's not really going that great over here and it's not really moving that great over here. Well, he's going to look over there and blame this other brother. He must be liberal. He must be compromising. That's why he's growing and we're knock it off. 
We're on the same team. There's no reason to be envious. There's no reason. I I know. Listen, I know it's tough. It's tough when you're trying to do everything. Man, I have been there, done that, got the trophy, the whole deal. I know how that is. And I know how how difficult it is to see stuff like that when you're you're trying your best and you're doing everything you know to do. and, And you're praying and you're begging God and it just ain't happening. But it seems like it is somewhere. Listen, it's okay. It's okay. That's human nature. But don't let it consume you. Don't let it consume you. Ask God to forgive you of it and, and, and learn to celebrate in the blessings of others. But God will, God will move. God, here's, here's, this don't have nothing. I don't even know why I'm saying this. I don't even know why, uh, Lord have mercy. I'm mentally tired, but I'm going to tell you this right now because this is so important. Uh, I remember, I remember when I was in high school and, uh, and, and, there was different lunches. Our, 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 our high school was really big and, and, uh, and, and they were different lunches and, and you didn't, you didn't get lunch all at the same time. There was like a lunch and B lunch and C lunch or whatever. And, uh, and I never got the first one. I don't know why I, I, I was always hungry and still hungry. I guess that's why I'm the size I am, but, but I, I was always hungry and, and, and I would, I would go by the lunchroom and I would see all them in a lunch and man, it drive me crazy. I said, man, I wish I was in there eating with them. And, and you know what? I had to go to class. I had to go to class. It wasn't my time yet. But you know what? My lunchtime came around. And I know this probably don't mean anything to nobody. But ladies and gentlemen, you might be walking by and somebody else enjoying their blessing. And you might not see yours yet. And you might not see what's going on right now. But I promise you, your lunchtime's coming. The bell will ring one day. And you got to keep being faithful. You got to keep doing what you're supposed to do. You got to keep doing what God's called you to do. Your blessing is coming. Learn to celebrate in other people. Don't get envious because what happens when you get envious, you start doing things you shouldn't do. You see, these Jews, they got wicked people in the city. They started employing wicked, wicked people to cause a riot. They stirred up a riot, stirred up a mob. And, and cause a major disruption in the city. Isn't it amazing? And, 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 and the accusation, the accusation they made against Paul and Silas was that they turned the world upside down. And you know what's amazing? The only person that caused the disturbance was the Jews. And their accusation simply because of envy. Envy will cause you to do stuff you shouldn't do. Envy will cause you to think things you shouldn't think. Envy will cause you to say things you shouldn't say. So listen, let's celebrate in the blessings of God. Let's celebrate. Now, Paul didn't give that opportunity. He didn't have that opportunity because of the riot. A couple of things happened. They assaulted the house of Jason. Jason was probably hosting them. He might have been the man of peace in that area where where Paul and Silas would would spend their time. And, and maybe maybe he was he was hosting them and they were staying with them. And providing for them while they were there ministering. Either way, Paul and Paul and them was not there when they came. And so they just took they took Jason and they took them into custody. And so what took place is Jason had to put up a bond, if you will. He had to put up a bond or a pledge, uh, a certain amount of money uh, to make sure everything was calm. And if, if, if something was stirred up again, he would lose that bond. And so Paul had to go. He had to go to another city. But let's look at it this way. It bothered Paul. If you go, if you go read in, in, in Paul's first letter, uh, uh, the first in first Thessalonians, you'll find that uh, it bothered Paul significantly that he wanted to be and spend time there. And he loved those people in Thessalonica. And, and but he had to leave. Now, we can look at it this way, that it was all oh, the devil won. Not so. Because the church prevailed and the church was established and the church was planted and the church kept They just kept keeping on and they started reaching out with the gospel from wherever they was. What happened? God used difficulty and God used resistance to move Paul to another city. Don't let resistance stop you. Don't let an obstacle keep you from keeping on. Just let it be a let it be a wind in your sail to move you to the next spot that God wants you to be. Now, now let's look at this. Look what happens. We see. His routine, his results, and the resistance he, he expected. <clears throat> it was in, in, instigated by the unbelieving Jews, and it was motivated by envy. 
Now let's look at the next city. <clears throat> let's look at the next city. Let's see here. Let's get to. Uh, all right. Verse nine. Let's get to verse nine. How are we doing in time? Oh, yeah, we got good time. OK. All right. Verse nine. <clears throat> And when they had taken security, that's that bond, that's that bond, that, that, that money, whatever, something Jason had to put up. He said, they let them go in verse 10 and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea who coming thither went unto the, the synagogue of the Jews. Now watch this. Now remember in the first city, Thessalonica, they were kind of reluctant. He had to, he had to, he had to debate with them and reason with them. And, 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 and there was a, a reluctance to believe what he had to say. And he, he, he had to, he had to spend matter of fact, three solid weeks. And it might've been, I don't know. I don't know, but it, it might've been that it took three weeks to get through. And it, it maybe, maybe it took three weeks for, for the truth to sink in and for them to have converts. But we do know this. There was resistance and there was reluctance in the teaching. But watch the difference. Look at the difference here in Berea. Man, he brags on him. He brags on him. Watch what it says. Verse number 10. They came to Berea and they went to the synagogue of the Jews. Verse 11. Now, these were more noble, more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Why? Why is he bragging on them? Why, why did he think so highly of this particular group of people? These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So let's look at this. All right. Now we said, we said we was going to use the same subs, right? The routine, the results. And the resistance. Okay. So all three of these fit right here, but let's look at how, how they were different. So the routine was the same. The routine was the same. He went to Berea. It was a strategic city and he, he went straight to the synagogue and he went to the Jews first. He went to, uh, 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 to go and target the Jewish people first. Okay. So that was the same. Everything about the routine was the same, but now let's look at the results. Let's look at the results. All right. Look what it says in verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So, all right, what do we see here? Why, why were they more noble? Why was Paul so uh, excited and, 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 and he was thrilled at their response? Watch this, watch this. First, Let's look at their readiness. All right. Let's look at their readiness. If you're, if you're writing that down. And by the way, this is what we all should be right here. This is what every pastor in America dreams that his people would be like. They don't want reluctant people like those in Thessalonica. We'll take them. We'll take anybody. We'll take them all. Anybody that wants to come, we'll take them. But we want people to be like the Bereans. Man, we desire people to be like the Bereans. What were they like? Watch this. Let's describe them. First, he talks about their readiness. All right. Say that with me. Their readiness. Look what it says in verse number 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word. Watch this with all readiness of mind, all readiness of mind. Now, what's the word readiness mean? It means promptitude. It means cheerfulness, willingness. Watch this freedom from reluctance, freedom from reluctance. All right. There is, there is an, uh, 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 just, they were, they were ready and willing. They were wanting truth. And, and, and you know, sometimes we use this term, uh, uh, with, with preaching and those that come to listen, man, they were hungry. They were hungry. Man, I've, I've watched and, 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 and it might be good that I can't see some of y'all right now, uh, because sometimes I've been preaching and I've been teaching and, and man, you've got people out here that's got the notebook in their hand and they've got the pen in their hand and they're taking notes and, and man, they're hanging on every word that you say and they're writing down and they're learning. And then you got some old goober over there that's sitting there. He just can't wait for it to be over. Don't be that guy. 
Be hungry. Listen, it's like, it's like, uh, when grandma cooked. Now I had, I had, I had, I had two grandmas and, and they were, they were both loving and they were both kind, but they were completely opposite. Now my dad's mom, my dad's mom, it, 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 listen, she, when, when she got through with breakfast, uh, she started getting ready for, for, uh, dinner. And, and, and then when she got through with dinner, she's getting ready for supper. And, and, and she expected you to eat. There wasn't no coming in, getting no Twinkie in the middle of the day. Cause she said it ruined your appetite. And she, she, she was a type. If she sat there and went all that time and effort and, and work to cook, she expected you to have an appetite. And man, that's the way it is when you're studying and you're working and you're laboring in the word and you're preparing the spiritual meal. You want people to have an appetite. You want people to come hungry for the word and want what you have to say and want what you have to deliver. And Paul said, let me tell you something. Them people at Thessalonica, they was a whole lot easier to preach to. They were more noble. Or excuse me. Those in Berea were more noble than Thessalonica because they were hungry. They were ready. They were wanting the truth. They were wanting. They had a readiness of mind. What are you like right now? What are you like right now? What are you like? What was you like the last time you was in the house of God? Hmm? What was you like the last time you was in church? Was you, was you hungry? Was you, was you ready for God to speak to you? Was you ready for God to instill truth that was going to bless you and help you and encourage you? Or was you looking at your watch every five minutes and waiting to get out of there? I bet you wish you could hear from him now. Listen, are you willing? Are you ready? Are you hungry for the word? Boy, those in Berea, they were ready. They had a willingness of mind. You see, number two, not only do we see their their readiness, now, watch what it says. Now, before I go to the number two, I want to read Psalm two. <clears throat> watch this right here. Psalm two, verse one. My son. You with me? Come on. Come on. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You know what he's saying there? You're not going to see truth if you're not looking for it. I don't care how much truth is presented to you. I don't, I don't care how much, how much evidence is given you. If you're not seeking truth, you'll never see truth. But you know what? They were seeking it. They had a ready mind. They were there with notepad and pen and mind open to hear the truth. They were ready. Not only do we see their readiness, but look at their receiving. Look at their receiving. Look what it says in that verse. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word. They received the word. Now, now Paul wrote about this specifically in his letter in first Thessalonians. Watch what he says. First Thessalonians two. How did they receive the word? Watch how they received it. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Watch this. Because. When ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. In other words, in other words, when they had their notebook and they had their pen, they were in their minds and in their hearts. They were expecting God to say something to them. They were, they, I know there was a human mouthpiece and I know there was a human speaker, but he was not speaking his own mind and he was not speaking his own opinion. He was not speaking his own theories. He was taking the word of God, the scriptures and opening them up and saying, thus saith the Lord. And the only way you're going to get what you need to get from any preaching, any teaching of the word, you've got to go into it knowing that this is coming from God. That's why it's so important that you follow somebody that's given you the scriptures 
follow somebody who's teaching the scriptures, not their stories and, and not uh, their opinions, not what they've heard somebody else say, but they can take you to chapter and verse and break down the scriptures and say, this is what God has to say. Listen, I love it when I know somebody has spent time with God and somebody has a word from God, not because it's just coming from their mind, because they can take you to the scripture and show you this is what God is saying. And that's how they received it. They, they looked at Paul and as Paul was sharing the Old Testament scriptures with them, they, he, they were taking it as it was coming from God himself. Guess what? If the preacher or teacher is giving you scripture, it is. It is coming from God. That's why it's so that's why Paul, that's why Paul told Timothy. He didn't tell him to preach what he thought. He didn't tell him to preach what somebody else said. He didn't tell him to preach his opinions. He said, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. But whatever you do, preach the word. Preach the word. Amen. Listen. It's God's word. It's God's mind on paper. And the reason that they were more noble is in the way they received it. In their heart and their approach to God, they were ready. They were hungry. They were willing. There was no reluctance whatsoever. And man, they saw it and they took it in as if it was coming from God himself. They received it as the word of God and not the word of men. Then lastly, lastly, I want you to see this. They're responding. They're responding. Look at it says. This is great. Verse 11. With all readiness of mind, they received the word. Now watch. Now don't stop there. Don't stop there. Watch what it says. And search the scriptures daily. Whether those things were so. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Now, listen, I I don't know who's on that camera back there, but I want you to zoom in so they can see me really, really good. All right. I don't even know what this looks like on on screen or whatever, but I want you to hear me. And I want everybody that's listening out there. I don't care if you're a preacher, a pastor, a missionary, a a deacon, whatever. It doesn't matter. I want everybody to hear me. Everybody that says he's a man of God is not. And please, please. I will sign it. I will write down my name in the date. I said it. Everybody that calls himself a man of God ain't. That's not good English, but that's the gospel. Listen, just because somebody puts a title in front of their name, just because they walk around and call themselves a man of God and, and say, well, you're just supposed to believe me or you, you're supposed to obey me because I'm the man of God. Ho, 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 ho. What did they do? What did they do? They searched the scriptures daily. To see if what Paul was saying was authentic. They received it as if it was coming from God, but they backed it up with a search of the scriptures. Now that's, that is critically important. Don't believe something just because somebody told you so. Listen, go to the scriptures. They say you need to believe this, or you need to act like this, or you need to behave in this way. Well, go to the scriptures. What does the scripture say? The scriptures are always the final authority, not some leader's opinion. If he tells you to believe something or to behave in a certain way, then he needs to be able to back it up with scripture. And you don't need to be lazy and just sit back and believe it just because somebody said it. You need to get your Bible. That's why you need to have your Bible when you have Bible study. That's why you need to have your Bible when you come to church. You need to have your Bible in front of you. I may not be here all the time. I may check out of here and there may be some turkey come in here and say something, preach something, and you don't have your Bible and you can't check him by searching the scriptures to see if what he's saying is true. Have your Bible. When you go to church, bring your Bible. When you sit down for Bible study, have your Bible. Get your notepad, get your pen. And after I get through, or whoever teaches up here, when they get through, then search it. Search it and see if the Bible doesn't say it. If the Bible doesn't say it, hold them accountable. Listen, search the scriptures. They received, they were ready. 
But they responded by looking up what Paul was saying. And man, I tell you what, that's not going to bother anybody. That tickled Paul to death. He said, man, they were more noble than those at Thessalonica. There was a readiness. They received the word. You see, in Thessalonica, they resisted the word. But in but in Berea, they received the word. Don't be like Thessalonica. Ladies and gentlemen, be like Berea. Go to the word hungry. Be ready and look and say, God, speak to me. God, talk to me tonight. God, 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 tell me what I need to hear. Tell me what I need to know. And I promise you, if you come to hear, you'll hear. If you come to see, you'll see. If you'll come to find, you'll find. God won't allow you to leave empty handed. Trust him today. Listen, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, let me, let me finish with this. If you don't know Jesus, your savior, let me tell you something. The most important thing you can have right now is not some vaccine. It's not some cure. It's not, it's not to make sure you have a vent. It's not to make sure you have gloves or PPEs. Listen, the most important thing right now in this crisis is for you to know Jesus as your savior. You need to know what would happen to you if you left this world. Jesus died for you. Let me tell you what Paul told them, that Jesus came and he suffered. He died and they buried him. And three days he rose again to prove that he was who he said he was. He was the Messiah. He was, as John said, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Listen, our sins have condemned us. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all of sin, Romans 3, 23, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It says in Romans 5, 8, but God commanded his love or commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died so you didn't have to. He paid for your sin so you didn't have to. Romans 10, Romans 10 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you will believe it with all of your heart that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Messiah the psalmist was talking about. He is the Messiah that Isaiah was talking about. That he is God's son who died for you. He will forgive you and save you. If you're ready to do that, if you, listen, if you've never done that, you don't know who Jesus is. And you're ready to pray and ask him to forgive you. Listen, this is not no faith. There's no formula in this prayer. You're just saying with your mouth, as Romans 10 said, for with the heart man believeth, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you believe with all your heart and say it with this prayer, dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that you died for my sin. I believe Jesus died for my sin. And the best I know how the best I know how I'm asking you now to forgive me and to save me. I'm asking you to forgive me and to save me. Come into my life and be my savior. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Man, I hope if you don't know Jesus that you received him just now. If you did pray that prayer and you, you trust in Christ with all of your heart. And you would like to know what the next steps are. We've got a little booklet that we'd like to share with you. If you'll comment in that section and say, I prayed. I prayed to receive Jesus tonight. We'll get in contact with you and we'll send you the little booklet. What now? Now that I believe, what's next? And we, we want to follow up with you. And we want to help you. Listen, we don't want you going through this thing alone. So, hey, post it there. Everybody else, thanks for coming tonight or coming. Thanks for showing up wherever you're at. And, and, and tuning in with us, uh, be praying. Let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for our government. Uh, listen, everybody's throwing blame around. And, and I, I'm going long, but I need to say this. Hey, hey, let's stop that. Let's stop that. Well, if this would have done this, if that would have done this, let's just be honest. Nobody knew what all this stuff was going to do. We, listen, let's just pray that God will touch our leaders and give them wisdom and give them the knowledge that they need. Let's pray for his hand. Let's more than anything, let's repent. Let's repent as, as God's people. Let's repent as God's people. We're waiting for sinners to do something. Maybe we need to. 
Maybe we need to repent of our apathy. Maybe we need to repent of our lackadaisical attitude when it comes to the work of God. Maybe we need to repent of not taking seriously the ministry. Maybe we've just taken, taken for granted the church house and, and the ability to come and worship and we've just been haphazard in our attendance and we hadn't been faithful. Maybe we need to repent and come to God and say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I, I, Lord, I repent. I repent. Listen, as a church, let's be right with the Lord. Let's be right. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, I hope y'all have a good week and, and, and stay safe out there. Know I'm praying for y'all and I hope you're praying for me. Y'all take care. Good night.